Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Black Create Connect podcast, where I speak with some of the most incredible, accomplished, amazing, empowering, inspiring Black entrepreneurs around the entire world. And today, I have a legend. I feel like you are a legend because you're you're doing legendary things. Thank you, Vanessa Sanyake. And she is the founder of Girls Talk London, which is an incredible platform to empower women um, into careers. And also she's the founder of the Black Girl Tech Summit. Yeah. And that is the biggest tech summit that exists, I guess, for women in the whole world, right? For black women. For black women yeah. in, in the whole world, which is yeah. incredible. And you've got, you've, you've branched out to Berlin as well this year. Yeah, Berlin, and we're hopefully going to Accra and the US as well. Oh, so. this is amazing. Yeah. Do you know what I love about you, right? When I was um, doing my research and listening to kind of your podcast and what you do and everything, you're a boss, corporate, wonderful babe. Oh. But like, you also enjoy your life as well yes like you, yeah. you have balance it's and, important yeah and I feel like um because I've interviewed so many different women mm-hmm. and it's a bit like black women and often sometimes I find that there's a struggle to be free about your social life as well mm-hmm. does it make, yes. make sense yeah and and I've I've actually kind of struggled a bit with this on my socials and I'm mm-hmm. still unsure of how I want to play it because mm-hmm. What I found is because I have, like you're saying, in corporate and in business, mm. I'm, I've had situations where I've been in leadership and I still am. Mm. The challenge I have is that sometimes in my workplace now, mm. sometimes your colleagues or even your clients think that they know you mm. and then the boundaries get crossed. Because if you've seen your boss turn yeah. up on the weekend, on the Monday, you kind of think, okay, well, you get quite yeah. familiar and so I'm trying to now for now I'm kind of trying to keep my socials now quite professional and sort of and not the social at the moment because it just can be quite challenging people kind of think they know you yes and they can be comfortable with you yes yeah yeah so it's it's very difficult but then like you said the reason and the reason why I've been able to grow our community is because our community feel like they can relate to me as a founder. Oh. So I'm still not, I'm sure, I'm still unsure of how to play it. It's knowing yeah. the balance between the two, basically. Yeah. I yeah. struggle with that as well because I'm like, I just came back from Ghana not um, oh, yes. in, in December, which was enjoyment central for me. And obviously I posted those that was, that was videos on my story, since, you know, doing the most. And I had someone say, Lisa, you're meant to be a founder of a company. Why are you doing this? I'm like, I'm a, I'm a human being. Like, can I not enjoy my life without without any judgment, please? It is it's it's hard, but also I find that some people you can get as well certain eyes that maybe can be a bit jealous, can put negativity on yeah, you because they yeah. think, oh look at her, she's just living it up, yeah. and then I'm just here, and there can be yeah. that resentment, yeah. And so I don't know. I just kind of I have been talking to a lot of my friends who are similar they're founders and they just say look I keep my turn up the way that I live my life private. the nice things I have in my life private mm. and I think that it's sad but I think that's 
the way forward. Yeah. Do you know what? I'm, I'm learning that as well because yeah. I, I, one of the ladies I interviewed um, a couple of weeks ago, she said the same thing. She, she said, I don't post that I'm doing sheet show the weekend. I don't post that I'm yeah. doing whatever because I just have, I have to know those boundaries and I have to know my personal brand. Yeah. Um, but it's so hard because I'm so open so and, and I'm very transparent. So, and I feel like you come across like that as well. I am. I am an open book and I am very transparent mm. and I'm not, I think sometimes I can be too transparent. And this is so funny because I I know we'll talk about this a bit later, but my podcast producer, Ryan, in the new series, which we're doing, that's coming out soon. Mm. I'm being, he's saying, you need to be more open V. Like people need to see the side that I see to see your journey as an entrepreneur, because I don't, there are some people who are entrepreneurs on socials and they only show you the good bits. They Mm. show you as the boss and I'm doing this. But for me on my socials, I've shared the ups and downs, like my bad mm. days, my failures. And sometimes I think, oh God, I'm, I'm a bit too transparent. So mm. I, I, I struggle with that. But I think it's, I'm starting to understand that you can only be who you are. Mm. Like for me, I'm a very transparent person. I don't want to change too much about who I am. Mm. I just think I have to be careful about how far I am, how far I am in terms of my transparency and who I share it with, right? Because mm. sometimes if it gets in the wrong is the wrong hands people can then take advantage and exactly. I think that's why people don't like being transparent yeah so that you have to just be kind of careful about how far you you share or mm. how much you mm. share yeah so talking about okay let's let, let's get into your journey a bit more because there's okay. so many different pockets to un to unfold yeah so taking it back I know that you grew up in Essex you weren't born in Essex though no I was born in Highbury in Islington so I'm an Arsenal girl that's where I was born. And then my parents moved us to Essex. Okay. Just before secondary school. Yeah. What was that like for you growing up in Essex? Back then? <sighs> it was racist. Yeah. Racist. I went from, you know, growing up in North North London, mm. it's so multicultural, right? I didn't mm. really necessarily think or realise as a young child, oh, I'm mm. black. I was, this was just it. And then you go to Essex and it's like, you're, you're black and you mm. don't belong. There was a lot of racism, very racist, was bullied um, in in secondary school. Mm. Yeah, it was very challenging. When I went to secondary school, I went to a convent and Mm. my best friend now, it was me, um, her and our other friend called Chidi. Mm. So my best friend's name's Eleanor. Our other friend, our other best friend is called Chidi. And it was literally... Um, maybe sort of two other black girls in the whole school. In the whole across school. different years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was like five of us, so five, six of us. How did that make you view your, I guess, your identity? Did you? Because I've spoken to different ladies that have grown up in those environments, and some of them just wanted to be white, and some of them really, really love being black and want to hold on to that. How did that make you feel? If it wasn't for my friends, my black friends, I, I guess we had no choice. We were just like, we're the only blacks, let's come together. Yeah. If it wasn't for them, I think I would have really had big issues. Because of them, I remember my best friend Eleanor saying, oh, you're really, you're a beautiful person. Like, you're mm. beautiful. Like, your hair is beautiful. Like, being mm. black is beautiful. But I remember I always had my braids. I never mm. had my hair natural. I was very... Mm embarrassed and I didn't want people to see my natural hair mm. so I did kind of try and fit in you're trying to fit in mm. and that was hard and so I did you know embrace being black to a certain extent but then there was also this side of 
me trying to fit in. And that was quite challenging because it was like, even my, my, my body shape, the fact that I was curvy, that I had breasts, that was just like, you stood out a lot. And so you just didn't feel like, you just didn't feel beautiful or didn't feel cool. You just felt like the odd, odd one out. So at what point did you start to understand, I guess, this is my value, this is who I am, like, I actually, you know, I'm someone, I'm proud of who I am. At what point did you feel that? When I went to university, so I went to the blackest university, I think, in Europe. Brunel. Brunel. Right? That's a lot of my friends. Brunel is is an unregistered HBCU. That's like Hertfordshire. I went to Hertfordshire. Yeah, like, if we had HBCUs in the UK, it'd be Brunel, Hertfordshire, exactly, Like, there was these Brunel was the blackest university ever. In the UK. And so that's where I went to university. And that's when I actually realised I'm an African. And that sounds really crazy. Really? Yeah, because because all I knew was Zimbabwe. I didn't know know about Pan-Africanism. I didn't know Nigerians or Ghanaians. My best friends were Caribbeans. So you didn't know about them? No, I was like, I mean, I knew about some Nigerians because that was quite, you know, Nigerians in essence, it was quite populous, right? And I knew some Nigerians. Ghanaians, Ugandans, Tanzanians, I'd never met until university. And then it, I kind of clocked, actually, I'm, not only am I Zimbabwean, but I'm African. And mm. then I found my people because mm. there were so many other people from different cultures and different countries. And it wasn't just about being Zimbabwean. It was like, oh, okay, mm. so in Ghanaian culture, they eat banku. Mm. In Ugandans, they eat this. And it was just an amazing experience. And then I realised, oh, my gosh, this is great. There are people who have similar cultures to me. There are people who, it's not just my mum that's always overweight and at the airport, it's other people. You had similarities. Yeah, yeah, like, it's like, yeah. oh, my God, like, we have just similar upbringings. Yeah. And... That was just amazing for me. And that's when I had my first boyfriend. His name was Alex. My first kind of, I think, true love. I had a boyfriend um, in Essex, but he was really horrible. But Alex was like black and he was gorgeous. Like to me, he was the buffest guy. You've ever been with him? Yes. And also the buffest guy um, <laughs> in our year, right? In our year. Is that you? Yeah, so you like the buffest guy in the whole year. Yeah, yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you go from being an ugly duck kid, and I was just like, oh my God, Alex is so buff, but he's not going to like me. So I kind of friends zone myself. And then I realized, oh my gosh, that I, because I grew up with white guys telling me I was ugly, right? So oh, at university yeah. now, this gorgeous black guy, He's like, oh, I think you're nice too. And it just changed. I kind of really saw, you know, that I felt, okay, I'm, I am a pretty girl and I do have value and I am so attracted. Your environment. Yeah, People my environment. You. Makes such a difference. Yeah, so Brunel was really a game changer. Yeah. That makes such a difference. And you know what? I really, um, I agree with you because I feel like my experience for me understanding different, I guess, type of, Black people mm-hmm. was SFX. I went to SFX. Oh, yes. Everyone from SFX went to Brunel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And, people, and I was yeah. like, it was then I realised, wow, there's loads of us. I didn't yeah. realise at all. And I guess when I, again, when I went to uni and, and I saw that there was an ACS, that's when I was like, oh my gosh, this is exciting for me because this is a place that we can just connect and we can relate and we can do black things ACS. unapologetically. ACS was amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So that was that was incredible. What did you study in Brunel? 
So I studied biomedical science. Because your parents told you to. Yes, exactly. I always tell this story. My mum's like, every time, everywhere you go, you always tell this story. It was doctor, really lawyer, accountant. So it was like, okay, yeah. I'll be a doctor then. So I, I did biomedical science and then I was going to do graduate medicine afterwards. Okay. Yeah. So what had happened? What had happened was, I mean, Brunel was so entrepreneurial. I just, a lot of my friends were starting businesses. Mm. A lot of successful entrepreneurs actually have come from Brunel. They, they were in my my year mm. and everyone was starting a business. Everyone was starting a side hustle. And I just got the bug. I just got the bug. I was like, I want to be a boss. This is fun. Like you can, you can create things, you can make a difference. Mm. And so I started my first social enterprise, which was called the Rafiki Network where we mentored young people in London. I managed to get funding. And oh, that's when, yeah. as a student. As a student. How much from the National Lottery. It was £5,000. That's good for that student. was good yeah. student. And um, I was able to set up my own mentoring program and, and social enterprise. And, um, and that was when I realised I can actually create something and I can be the master of my own future. And I also was, I did, um, I had a very kind of brief stint in terms of event planning. I, mm. I hosted a few raves. So I would be going out, handing out flyers. I'd be the only female out. So after the rave, I'm sure I've given someone a flyer at some point in London. I was 18, 19. Yeah, I was doing like my own raves. And I would hand out flyers. And um, it's interesting actually, because back then I didn't necessarily realize mm. Okay, like as a woman, this is very weird. I was like, yeah, the only girl out at 3, 4 a.m. I'd, I'd come from either Uxbridge or my parents' house in Essex, mm. drive to the city mm. after raves and hand out flyers and be about, okay, my, my birthday rave is coming up, come. So, yeah, I mean, I was just very, very entrepreneurial and I just knew that that was for me. Mm. So after I graduated, I decided to work for a bit and figure out the business side. So what did you do work-wise straight away from uni? So I ended up working in banking, which was really weird. So my other, my cousin was actually, he went to Brunel and he studied engineering and he was like, oh, V, uh, the bank where I'm working, they're hiring like science grads, but very entry level. So science grads Yeah, because we've got, um, we're very good at analysing like information, data. And they felt that we were very bright. So he was like, it's not even a graduate scheme, just come and do like an entry level role. So we just kind of, um, I did contract roles. So I kind of just got, just fell into it. Mm -hmm. And I worked in so many different departments. Like I worked in um, Barclays Group Events, Barclays Group Sustainability, which is what I do now. Corporate communications. I worked in project management. Well, doing analytics for them. Yeah, like, like a, a very like entry like analyst role. So you kind of um, it's kind of like admin, but like I don't know how you describe it. So it's a lot of it's like admin, but it's very mm. entry level. So it's, right, like, it's not you. a graduate scheme, but you'll kind of be I don't know like doing research, or they'll mm. say like. Um, or with the, when I was with events, it would be sort of researching like things like you know like venues, looking at costs, all of that kind of stuff. So right. any, any like admin type stuff like you would do, um, and that's what I did. And then I kind of felt, and then I fell into project management. So I was PMO support, which basically like an admin role, but do it on a project that was worth a couple of million pounds at another right, bank, right. and like 
chuck in like they have like um these documents called like risk registers and looking at issues and then like um logistics of how how like different programs are going to be run that mm. kind of stuff yeah so when you left Brunel which was f- comfortable black empowering place mm-hmm. and you went into banking which probably isn't like that I'm yeah. assuming what was that transition like for you what kind of challenges did you come across in terms of working in banking mm. It was a very difficult environment. I think I was, because I kind of fell into it, I was contracting. So mm. you could call it 10-pin contracting. So I, very sh- I had short-term contracts. I guess short-term would be like a year, mm. but they'd always be rolling, actually. I was pretty good. But it was a bit of a culture shock. I think I didn't necessarily really want to be there, if that makes sense. I just mm. kind of wanted a job. And my cousin was like, look, I've got a job, like, as a temp for this agency, like, right, register. And you're like the bottom it's like you're the bottom of the barrel so you're basically like the team assistant like you're kind of like at they the just bottom. throw things at you basically Ad, it's admin it. like yeah. it's, it's it's admin it's admin it's like whatever like the the vps or the md or whoever don't want to do like you're going to do it so you're, you're a team assistant yeah and and i think that was kind of interesting because you at university especially especially as i done my own social enterprise right mm. And you're like, okay, I'm in this big organisation, but I'm like the bottom of the barrel and I'm black. And then I also didn't come for a graduate scheme because I got a 2-2 as well. So mm-hmm. I didn't qualify for any of the graduate schemes. So I kind of went through a different a different route. Mm-hmm. And I was quite lucky, but I didn't have those soft skills. I didn't really know like how to network, how to communicate, mm. how to manage stakeholders, all of those soft skills. Like mm. I really showed up on time, which was, I don't even know why I wasn't fired. Like maybe because <laughs> I was but good we, my job. But I, I can just relate was, to that. Yeah, I was just I like, don't know why I wasn't fired either. Yeah, I, I was late probably I was for like just three useless. years for life. Like I was just useless. <laughs> and yeah, but I, I, it was because I just fell into it. I wanted a mm. job. But now when I look back, I'm like, wow, like you worked at Barclays, you worked at HSBC, mm. I did JP Morgan. Like, three massive banks but what I took away from it was I guess the business side so I saw mm-hmm. so many different departments um and I worked like assisting a lot of like MDs and saw how they do business saw how they communicate saw how they conduct meetings I saw how they networked so I learned like how the boss operates um what what were some of those key things that you learned that you picked up on I learned that one of my bosses, <laughs> I've said the company, so I hope I don't like upset anyone. But like one of my bosses, like she was like really all over the place. And what I realised is she was really good at networking. She was really good at smoothing and talking the talk, but she was like a mess. So what I learned from her was... In what sense though? Like, or disorganised? Disorganised. Right, like, got you. it was chaotic. It was chaotic. Like... It, I, I can't even sort of disclose what happened, but it was yeah. a sh- like all shambles. But the very senior exco m- members really liked her, and so what That's I learned was you know. if so, like you can be rubbish, but, but if, if someone likes if someone you, likes you, I'm telling you for a fact. I yeah. know that for a fact because I remember being in a sales role where I sold nothing for about four or five months, nothing as a salesperson, but I was still there. I said, "Hey, you like me? You yeah. must like me because I'm not selling." Yeah. Like, <laughs> 
thing. And that's what I realized. It was like that. And then also in the, another boss of mine, she was a black woman mm. and I was like um, her EA and then, and then the team assistant. Mm. Um, and she, she taught me. So she was very close to the CEO. And when I tell you, it's like, it's, it was the largest, it probably is one of the largest investment banks in the world without saying the name, mm. but I've said the name before, so you can kind of work it out. <laughs> but she was very close to the CEO. Mm. And what I noticed was she found a common ground. So he was very much into the arts. He liked right. going to theatres. So she would email him and say, oh, I've just seen this play. You and your wife might like this. Right. And then he'd go and see it and it was amazing. And then he would just like her more. He lo- loved her to the right. point where I think she even sat on the um, executive committee. I mean, she was an MD, but having her in that role in the executive committee was a big thing. Mm-hmm. As a black, And she was a black woman at that time. And so I learned, oh, okay, it's around when you're talking to senior people like that, mm. a lot of them like to read, like the arts, like the travel. So if right. you can get them and through talk about through those things, oh, I just read this book, I think you would like it. Or I just saw this play, this musical, here's a link. Mm. Then you're, you know, then, then you're in, then you're in. That's such an interesting thing to, yeah. to pick up on because I have definitely been in rooms with seniors before previously and been like, I don't know what to talk about with you. I promise you, like, I've yeah. been honest. Like, I'll be like, I don't know where to start. And that's a really good, a really good tip. It is. And you, you start off by saying, okay, well, how was your weekend? Like, what did you get up to? Okay. And then you start asking questions about their family and their kids. And so if he said, or she said, it was a he at the time. Mm. But if, you know, if, if, if he said, you know, I'm sure you must have said, oh, you know, we've gone to the theatre or... Mm. You know, because I think he's his yeah his wife was actually very big into the theatre as well. Mm-hmm. Then you pick up on these things. Oh, okay, it might be that he's he likes football. He's Got going you. to football. Okay, he likes football. Right, that's my kind of in thing. Mm. So that's how you kind of uh, that's how I would um, advise someone start with. What did you get up to at the weekend or? How was your um, week off work? Ah. And then you start to find out a bit more about who they are as a person. That's what that weekend question's for. I always feel yes. like, whenever they ask me, every yeah, it's, single weekend. It's not, but you can get information <laughs> about senior people. I just think you're being nosy. <laughs> but it's, it's good but for yeah. senior people. Yeah, then you is. find out, okay, so it's he just said, things. yeah, because even like, for example, finding out maybe what his favourite hotel is yeah. or what his favourite restaurant is, and then you find out maybe that the chef is doing something at another, like you can just pick, pick up little pieces. things. Yeah. And just Cause it shows that you listen and that you're thoughtful as well. Yeah. And likability, I feel like is such an underrated skill. It is. Like when you're, when I like you, you could, you could really have done something wrong, but I will handle you so differently. Yes. <laughs> like, so yes. differently. Yes. So, yeah. But, um, okay, so you've, you've done that for a little bit. You've done, um, you've got the bottom of the barrel work, unfortunately. But, <laughs> uh, you know, there is a God because things turn around. Exactly. Um, and you, you, you kind of grew into diversity, equity and inclusion. That, that was a transition. How did you transition into, into DEI? I've been in diversity and inclusion for 16 years now, but I didn't realise I was always in it. So when I was, when I set up my first social enterprise, mm. I was helping young inner, inner London kids get jobs. Mm. 
that was DNI. I had no idea that mm. it was called DNI. So I'd started that university and I had continued my social enterprise outside of my day jobs. When mm. I was working in banking, I was still doing my, my business outside. Mm. And, and, um, and then when I was working in different banks and temping and working mm. for so many different people, I actually started to then understand how what I was doing mm. translated in the business world. And that's uh, when I discovered, oh, they have diversity and inclusion. At the time, it was corporate responsibility, which was quite big. Mm. And that's where DNI sat at that time. Mm. And then that's when I realized, oh, wow, this is what I want to do. Mm. So when I was at the American Investment Bank, I ended up working as the assistant to the managing director of corporate philanthropy. Mm. And then that's when I realized, okay, this is what I want to do. Mm. Because that role, um, what I would do is I would manage like the foundation. They had a foundation. And so mm. she was like, you can just sort out all the applications. So I'd go through the applications. A lot of them would be like no's. Um, but to see like what kind of projects that they were funding, how they mm. worked with like young people. And that's when I kind of fell in love with like the corporate DNI. Mm. And then after that temp role, um, I decided that I wanted to do like a master's. Like I knew I, I wanted to upskill because I knew I'd kind of had like, um, you know, like analyst team admin, the, the very, very junior experience, mm. but I didn't have the education or the knowledge to right. kind of move on to what I wanted to do. So I did a master's in sustainability and management, okay, which focused on like environmental policy, but also corporate responsibility. Mm. So how companies can be like more diverse, how they can contribute to the society. So then after my master's, that's when I kind of went back into the city, but I worked for um, an NGO that did like diversity and inclusion consultancy. What's the NGO? Um, Non-governmental organisation. So like a charity NGO, same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and, yeah. and 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 how was that for you? So after you done your masters, and yeah. you kind of went and you went into that role. Yeah. What was that role like for you? What did you learn? So I was a senior program manager at mm. um, they're a charity called the Brokerage. They still exist today. And so what we did was we worked with a lot of companies in the financial services who mm. were based in the city, and we would run like diversity and inclusion programs for them. And this was like um, eleven years ago. What type of programs though? What what like mentoring, mentoring, okay. uh, work experience programs, um, insight days, recruitments. We'd actually recruit. Oh, right. So okay. the brokerage, what we did was we would work with the UBS's, Deutsche Bank's, all of the big firms, mm. and recruit black talent, young people who were right. com- who came from poor backgrounds into their companies. Mm. We'd run mentoring schemes. We'd do insight days. So everything we did was around getting more diverse young talent into the city and I don't think we actually realized how revolutionary we were because this was I mean that cherry had started in the 90s and then I had just joined it it was still very much like very well Mm. known so it was very ahead of its time that's what that's what I I did for a good almost four years I was at the brokerage what were some of the do do you remember the impact that you had when you was there yeah I mean we had when we when we did our impact reports so I managed like several programs. It was a, mm. there was three of us as part of the schools team. Mm. We would have seven thousand young people every year through our programs. Seven thousand. Yes. Like how did you get so many attracted we to the would, program? We would have stuff going on every single day. We would have events every day. Every day. Every day. Every day. And you used to run them. Yeah. 
that's why it's so funny because in person as well yes in person that's why it's so funny because people who work for me mm. I mean I'm just like I look at them like you guys have no idea what work is I always tell them I used to do events every single day we would have about 40 to 50 young people in mm. a city company mm. every day and it would mm. be like a whole afternoon itinerary mm. we'd organize it I would lead the workshops bring the kids there every day and sometimes you would have two workshops a day, a day. yes and it was a team of three yeah every day that's why you're a powerhouse that's the thing and I, and I try and tell like people you know for, for me like I, I know I work hard but I had colleagues as well mm. so you, you know I've done it all I, I'm not above anything like I, like I told you I was a team assistant I was bottom of the barrel I, in my words I've done through. grassroots diversity and inclusion so the good thing about that, working with schools and young people every day and going into these different companies yeah. was that I understood and I understand at a grassroots level what young people, the barriers young people are facing, gen- like black people, women, girls, all of that. I did it every day. What are the barriers that like young people, black people are facing? And also, what are the different types? Because I, from my understanding of DEI, barriers that are, say, in Asian young girl faces mm-hmm. is so different to what a black yeah, boy will face. It is. So for in a roundabout way, what are some of the different barriers that you've recognised? There's so many and it's very intersectional, right? So mm. for example, um, you know, with young people, the biggest barrier is access, mm. right? They, they for example, the, what we were doing was we were working with inner London. Mm. So these are young people who from there, they could they can live in a council block mm. and they can see the Canary Wharf <laughs> Tower. They can see the Barclays Tower, mm. HSB ta- HSBC Tower, mm. and there's no way for them to get in. But that those companies are on their doorstep. Mm. So it's, ac- it's access. It's actually getting their foot um, through the doors. It's confidence. It's mm. like I was talking about earlier: the soft skills, knowing how to behave. How do you give a firm handshake? How do you introduce yourself? Right. How do exactly, you create yeah. a good first they impression? They just don't know how, how to. They act don't in have it, and then that's what sets them apart. And then for women, it's lack of role models. Mm. Um, and for black people as well, and for disabilities, it's lack of accessibility. accessibility Some of these yeah. buildings are not accessible for, for people with disabilities, and so they count themselves out. Mm. So it, 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 it's, there's just so many barriers that people face. So what can organisations do from your perspective to be more inclusive? So A, become more diverse. Mm-hmm. B, be more equitable. And I'll get into the inclusive bit afterwards. What do you think they can do? I think we need to move away from the black squares because people were just putting up black squares three years ago and, and they had nothing. done nothing. nothing I was saying changed. this, I promise you, it's in my notes. It's yeah. in my notes. Okay, I yes. said it yesterday. <laughs> I think I was talking to, I was talking to yeah, mm. I was talking to um, Elizabeth about it as well and I was literally saying, I need to do a post about this because people, including black people, put up black posts. Mm-hmm. And where is it? When I'm putting out a podcast about what we're doing, are you reposting it? Yeah. Are you are, are you spreading the word? Yeah. Are you are you sharing jobs with communities? Are you a part of any community? Like, what are you doing? And then people, and then and the funny thing is, people. There was a big uh, uh, march. I don't know if you remember. Yeah, I didn't go. I didn't go because I was trying to. <laughs> Can't imagine the people, the people that are making an impact didn't go to the march. We, we've been marching for. I've been. I've, at that time, I was in DNI for about 13 years. I've been marching every day. 
you lot go and march exactly because I've been yeah. marching right yeah. Yeah. so I'm not going to exactly. sit there and protest you only you all know only now exactly. that racism and discrimination exists I knew back then I've exactly. been fighting for you yeah. with no acknowledgement no appreciation you yeah. go and march and I did post this to my LinkedIn and about, about not marching no this this week about some of the um, statistics were saying that some of the companies with black square so two of the two investment banks they their if their f their ethnicity pay gap has actually widened and one um, since then so now it's widened yeah and one of them still has about like three percent of black colleagues so it's like it's just it's just yeah do you even three percent no sorry not three percent i think it's like 0.8 percent or something like that sorry it's not three percent do you know how it's mad and i believe you but what I've, what I've noticed, one of the problems is working as a consultant as well, mm-hmm. is that they don't want to invest in the time and resources no. for the changes. No. So they will say, yeah, 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 let's let's bring in more black candidates or whatever it is. But the problem is we don't find enough black candidates with, with, the, with the good skills or whatever for our roles. Are you going to invest in the resources and time to make sure you do have the black candidates? That the, can the, skills? the skills are there. They I are mean, there. And the people are there. But people... I don't know why, because the data is there to show yeah. that diversity and inclusion has benefit to the bottom line. So even with gender diversity, companies are losing out on 1.5 trillion. Yeah, yeah. Trillion. M- loads of money. Trillion, yeah. Due to the lack of diversity. Yeah. So the numbers are there. So why why is it? Well, the thing is, I think, I think that there's this view that they think that they're going to be held back if they lift yeah, other people up. Exactly. That's the view. But my, what I always try to tell companies, I don't know if you say anything different, is no, we're making more space at the table. We're, we're expanding it, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't mean that your career has to stop or someone yeah. else's career has to stop. We're just expanding opportunities. Why, why is that not okay? Yeah, it's because people are scared of change. The people yeah. at the top are scared of change. And until they stop operating from a place of fear, mm. things aren't going to change. I mean, even if you look economically mm. with Brexit, Brexit was based on racism and xenophobia. Yeah. And look where we are now. Yeah. You can't even make a salad. no vegetables. They're out of stock. No <laughs> vegetables, right? And people don't actually want to admit. And Brexit, it's it's Brexit, right? For, for import and export, right? It's mad. So, yeah. And so it's just like, Racism and xenophobia is costing you. It's costing us money. Yeah. But, but some people would happily suffer for their racism yeah. and xenophobia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's sad, but that's yeah. where, that's, that's the reason why. Yeah, it's, it is extremely mm-hmm. sad. But then it makes me think as well, um, I, I question this sometimes on openly, is there space for diversity and inclusion in regards to roles long-term? Because companies are not willing to do the work. So what that does... What I've, what I've experienced in conversations with other DEI professionals is that they're constantly facing barriers because this department's not cooperating because they can't do it by themselves. Like The turnover is very high for yeah. DEI professionals, about 18 months, because they find that when they get to an organisation, like you said, there's no budget, yeah. there's no resource, so you don't have any support, any team. Sometimes it's just one person who's supposed to do so Everything. much change. There's lack of accountability from the top. There's no targets. There's no commitment. Mm. So you just feel and you actually realise a majority of the time it's a tick box hire. That's what it is. And yeah. so you leave. That's why. Yeah. And, and this article that I shared actually on my LinkedIn was showing that the retention rate 
is appalling for DNI and chief diversity officers in particular. It's it's yeah. difficult because I'm having these conversations too often with DI professionals, and that's why. And I'm going to get on to Girls Talk London as well. That's why I said to myself, "Do you know what? I need to, to set up Black Create Connect to make sure that if anything was to happen, I'm still I'm still having an impact mm-hmm. in the Black community and their professional growth with companies that care around the world. Because yeah. so you know, and I'm I'm having my impact because if I can't change one company and how they do things overall, let me do my local impact and keep it consistent. Mm-hmm. So on to that, why did you start Girls Talk London? Well, you know what? We're actually now Girls Talk Corporation. Ooh. We've recently changed our name. Okay, perfect. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, but, but people know us as Girls Talk London. So, so Girls Talk London, I started uh, that whilst I was working at the brokerage. Mm. And I just saw when we were doing our workshops and trying to get young people into city jobs, I'd say to the girls, or oh, what do you think? And then they'd say, oh, I don't really see a place for myself here. Um. I just think I might just do like, you know, health and social care or go into beauty. I just don't see myself here. And I'd be like, what? You can make money. This is a viable career for you. And I just saw that girls were opting out Mm. because I didn't see any female role models. And so I thought, okay, I've got to do something about this. So Mm. the name Girls Talk, I got some clients of mine, partners of mine Mm. at the brokerage that I'd worked with, that I'd become close to and said, look, I want to bring some girls for an event in the city where you join my panel and they said yeah and then the name girls talk london was because we started doing the girls talk events in london mm. and then it's since grown that's incredible so you just kind of started it from a conversation that you wanted to have yeah what was the impact of those panels like what did you see yeah just happen? seeing like we started off um, working with secondary school girls and then just seeing their their minds expand mm. the possibilities expand mm that they were just having different dreams for themselves. Mm. That's what I saw, just seeing them change and be more confident. And it's so interesting because some of these girls are still with us to this day. And now Mm. I'm seeing them at university. Some of them are now working in big companies and now saying, can you work with me at this company? Can you work with Girls Talk? So it's actually like full circle. It's so amazing. amazing. I love it when that happens. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, really great. So... In regards to the growth over the years, I know you've obviously impacted ladies because of the talk and because in and in their careers. What other things, for example, the black um, the black girls in tech summit as well. So, what other things have you seen kind of spark out from girls talk? For me, I I set up girls talk and everything I do is I do my research first. So I see is anyone else doing this? Mm. I don't see somebody else do something and think, oh, I want to do that. I believe. If you're going to set up something, it has to be because there's a gap and there's a need. Otherwise, just go and volunteer and support whoever is doing doing it, right? And so with Girls Talk, I literally was like, I really want to do like events for girls, Mm. researching. I couldn't find a group that would meet on a regular basis. I was researching and researching, Mm. couldn't. And then I thought, actually, I should start something. Mm. So I started Girls Talk because there was a need. Mm. Then we started doing... um, programs for girls in STEM mm. because there wasn't that many programs again to mm. get more girls in, into STEM mm. Black Girls Tech Summit started in 2019 there wasn't a summit for black women in tech in the UK there was not much traction not much happening and so we saw a gap mm. because we were doing a lot of work to get girls into, into STEM and mm. we saw that black girls were opting out as well so I started Black Girls Tech Summit in 2019 it's our fifth 
yeah, this year, mm. because at that time, and there still is, there was a lack of black female representation in tech. Mm. And so everything that we do, we're launching the Black Girls in Finance Summit as well in September. Because again, I was searching to see and what I couldn't see. Is. I couldn't see an, an event where it's for Black women in finance in all areas. So there would be Black women in a, like a, there's Black women there's Black women in asset management, which is fantastic. Mm. Or I see Black women in in hedge funds. But there wasn't anything in terms of finance in incorporating. General, yeah. So I thought, okay, well, let me, that I could find, there might be, but that I could find. Mm. And I thought, well, we need, to, we need to do something around black girls and finance. Mm. So it's just trying to find some of the gaps and where there's challenges mm. and where we can make a difference. Yeah. So how do you create these summits to A, be um, profitable? Mm-hmm. Because I've, I'm doing events and I can tell you sometimes, mm-hmm. It's a profit. Sometimes it's a not. Most times mm. it's a not. So, <laughs> so how do you make sure that they're profitable? Um, and how do you get companies involved and get your community involved? What's that process like? You know what? I just won't. I won't. I won't go ahead with, with an event if it's going to make me a loss. I'll just cut my. I, I. And so I'm very good at budgeting and planning and, mm. and thinking. And pulling in favours. So I think mm. over the years, I've developed really strong networks. Mm. And so for me, I get companies to host. And some of our sponsors get a bit funny saying, well, why is this company hosting? We don't want to go there. Mm. And, you know, can't you get a bigger venue? Well, do you have the money to pay for a bigger venue? Because if you don't, then we're going to this company. Mm. So I save money in getting a company to host. Because they well, host the actual venue. Yeah, because okay, then cool. they absorb all the costs and they mm. get like a discount to, to, to sponsor. Mm. So there's, there's there's different ways you can go about it. And you just have to really um, do your numbers. And to be honest, I have to just be quite transparent with, with people from our vendors, for the people that speak with us. We pay all of our speakers, but I'm just up front with what we can pay, what our budgets are, and just mm. try and make sure that we can actually, you know, fund staff because I need to have pay staff to to plan it and organize it mm. so you just have to really be creative and think about things and I'm not always I know that I'm on a journey and I'm not here just for show so yes mm. it'd be great to have a massive like just phenomenal venue mm. and the lights and the cameras but that's like you're saying that's when you're going to make a loss I think about my objective are mm. it my objective is that black women mm. come to our summit, they connect with recruiters and they get inspired. If as long as that, that happens, happens, it doesn't matter about all that. It doesn't matter about being yeah. at this venue. It doesn't matter to mm. say I've had 10,000 people come to this event. What does that mean? Mm, mm, it mm. means, you know, it doesn't mean anything. It's mm. more of a vanity project. For me, mm. I'm just about the impact. Mm. As long as we can make some form of impact and put on like really great quality events, mm. I'm, fo- I'm focused on really like going on the journey and like mm. every year we can get, you know, do things bigger and better. So we mm. have our pop-ups, which allow us to kind of have like smaller events with 100, 200 people mm. in different cities rather than just like saying, oh, you know, I've had 10,000 or 25,000 people here. It's great for your ego, but yeah. it costs a lot of money. Yeah, I rather kind of do smaller, more more smaller events, ones, yeah. intimate ones that, are not going to sort of put me in the minus. Yeah, 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 that makes sense. And then do you have consistent sponsors that sponsor your events over and over again? Yeah, we're so lucky. Like, um, I've worked with uh, Virgin Media O2 and Vodafone and BT. They don't sponsor... BT sponsors Black Girls and Tech Summit Mm. or Black Girls Tech Summit. Mm. Um, But but the others, I've worked with them now 
for this this is my seventh year mm. and they've signed up for another five years to work with us mm. um snapchat are one of my long-term sponsors they're always supporting really? us um yeah so i have like a, you know like some companies who that really just have over, my back over. they're just like Vanessa, like, we get what you're doing. We're going to support you. And I just love them. Yeah. How do you build those relationships and sustain them? Because it's, I'm not going to lie to you, it's hard. So mm. our last event that we did um, last year for Black History Month, we managed to get sponsors for that. But it was a lot of conversations. It was a lot yeah. of no's. <laughs> there, was, there was a lot of, not right now, the budgets are tied up. And I'm in the midst of doing that now for a lot of events. So... That is something that I'm not gonna lie, I'm learning now. I haven't had to do that before. So, mm-hmm. what are some of the things that you've learned over time that really works well when it comes to gaining getting sponsorship for events? Um, yeah, that'd be good to know. I think it's a tricky one for events. I think the challenge that we have here is I don't know how to say this politely. No, no, no. In you, a good have to, way. you don't have to be polite in the UK. In the UK, there's a lot of, no, there's a lot of black events, right? Oh, wow. Okay. And so if 10 organisations are, are, are approaching Sprite, for example, to sponsor, then it's, it's going to be challenging. Don't and that's the problem. That's the problem. Right. It's, there's okay. so much. It's, it's a good thing. That's a good problem, yeah. Um, but there's so much. Okay. So it's, I think people need to think about collaborating. Together. Together. Yeah. And thinking, okay, so, you know, we're, we're in this lane, we're doing, I don't know if it's tech or mm. if it's the creative industries or even mm. if it's um, beauty and hair care, mm. uh, beauty and hair care. And then just reaching out and saying, look, okay, if all of us approach Sprite, mm. then it'll, it'll make sense. Then we're yeah. all going to get a cut. Yeah. And it'll be better. Yeah. So I think that's the challenge we have in the UK. There's so many now... Um, organisations that are doing things around race which is great but then it means that mm. there's just so many people approaching the same sponsors and they're mm, like mm, we, mm. we can't do it all mm. so I think that would be my advice to see how you can collaborate so with us we're, we're very big in Germany now but I always collaborate so I'll go and I'll approach we work a lot with Adam um, mm-hmm. who do a lot of work to get with the black African community and we in Germany yeah in Germany okay, so okay, got um, you so, you know, we're okay. always catching up and saying, okay, can we support this event? Can you, you know, oh, and then we always say, okay, well, when's your, when are your, when's your career fit? Right, then I'm going to make sure we do that then. Because again, with Black History Month, for example, everyone's going to be approaching the same. But if, but if we get the conversations going and you know, yeah. okay, these two companies are going to do something in October, then we're going to do something in February then it's more collaborative because everybody's talking. Got you. But when everyone's not talking, everyone's going to the same, then it's challenging. So then maybe, this is just kind of putting it out there as like an idea because I feel like I know quite a few community leads. Like I know Charlene, Coding Black Females, Mm -hmm. and Asima, who runs Black Recruiters Network, and Niall, who does Black Tech Sales Network, and there's so many others. Yeah. We need to meet and have like regular meetings the same way these companies, I guess, that act like they're competitors mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. have meetings. Yeah. I feel like that would be really effective so that we can work more collaboratively. And I feel like from the conversations that I know with um, everyone else, they would be open to doing it yeah. as well from, from that. So that's actually an idea putting out there into the universe yeah. that that needs to be, even if it's a once a quarter. Yeah, you know I, what I mean, exactly. I mean, the thing is, I, I, do talk to similar counterparts. I'm really close friends of a lot of people who are in the similar spaces. Mm. Um, 
And I think because we've been doing it for such a long time, mm. so I'll call them up and I'll say, you know, like, how much do you pay this person? Yeah. How much do you charge this person? So there yeah. is that, but I think because the network has gotten so wide, like, there's more of us. We need to. In, it's just like in you don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's just like trying to bring every everyone together. Yeah. Um, because there's just so much going on. So I do when I can. I do. I do catch up with some. You know some people who I know are doing similar stuff and just saying, okay, what, you know, what, what are you doing when are you, you know, when are you planning to do X, Y, and Z and trying mm. to keep that relationship going? So I think you're right. Yeah. There's, more so, needs to be done. there's so many, because even um, yesterday um, I spoke with um, just, just now who, who runs Young Music Boss. Mm-hmm. And even though that's the music industry, mm-hmm. is she, again, she's still, the mission is still similar to what okay, you're doing. Yeah. That's what I'm doing in regards to lifting up young black, under uh, you know underrepresented women or whoever yeah. into into roles so there's still a shared goal and yeah. there's definitely a massive there's there's something there so yeah yeah I think we need to we need to do more of that more being open mm. more talking yeah and collaborating um because it's just going to be better for all yeah agreed mm-hmm. completely agree yeah. so so by the way, shout you out because you have the I guess it's number four rated podcast on Apple, the business charts. Business Was it charts. number four? Or number, yeah, I think we've got to number four. Number four. Yes, I, I know at one point it might have been number eleven. I think it was number four. It was number four. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was number, and, and then number four, which yeah. is amazing. Well done. Thank you. Okay. Why did you call it after work drinks? By the way, I love the name and I love the sip in between. Yeah. But I, you call it that. I love a drink. <laughs> I love a drink. I mean, for me, anyone who knows me, I love my wine. I love a cocktail. I just I love it. And within moderation, I have to say. Um, but for me, some of my best conversations have been just like we're just like we're sitting here now. Yeah. Uh, over a drink. Yeah. And it would be after work. Yeah. So a lot of I've been so privileged to know some amazing individuals. And back in the day, especially when I was working in the city, um, I'd meet my friends for like a drink and we would just catch up Chat, and share yeah. ideas and that's when I'd get ideas about what kind of business I want to have and I'd get so much advice and we yeah. would kind of mentor each other and encourage each other after work right. and so that's the, where the name came from the After Work Drinks Club I wanted to bring that excuse me to to the listener yeah. so one of the things that I heard you mention on After Work Drinks was um, the climb that you started for women um, and I know you you stopped it as well. Yeah. So can we talk open and transparent about that? Yeah. 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 So first of all, how was it? I know you managed to get eighty percent of the women that was on the, that course mm-hmm. promotions. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, that yes. is amazing. <laughs> yeah. So it was, That's a, amazing. it was yeah the client membership. Mm. It was a six month program that had a very clear success path. Mm. And we wanted to get women from where they were to where they wanted to be, which was up the career ladder and. At the end of the program, eighty percent of the women had got promotions. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. And how much was that per month? That was at the time. It was a very special offer. It was fifteen pounds a month. You see that the pilot? Yeah, that? fifteen pounds a month. That which was cheap. When I when I heard you talk about it, I thought, yeah, oh, yeah she's probably going to try like five hundred a month or something. Because yeah. these cohorts, I'm not sure if you've seen these course prices yeah. and these cohorts. But imagine you're <sighs> getting individual coaching from me. I am fantastic. Coach. Yeah, an hour. It was group coaching. Our uh, group coaching. Our monthly month monthly master classes. I would send you my. I call them weekly musings emails every week 
of resources. Nah, you're amazing. Yeah, Fifteen pounds a month, and then uh, I thought that's just for what I was giving. I, I wanted much. to test the idea. Yeah, yeah. That's why I priced it so cheap. Right. And then I thought, listen, this program is worth at least sixty pound a month. Yeah. And then it was just when I kind of wanted to do it the second time around, a lot of resistance. People weren't really interested because the price had gone up. They didn't want to pay. Mm. There was a lot of question about, you know, well, what am I going to get out of it? Mm. And I just thought it's a lot of work coaching people. Yeah. And I just thought, forget it. I'm not. So I just said, I'm not doing it. At all. I'm not doing it at all because people don't appreciate the value. My value. Like I've been coaching women through Girls Talk for like over 10 years. So you've done the work. I've done the work. I've started from, as you mentioned, from the bottom, like of the lowest totem pole in corporate to then being like head of DNI. Yeah. Like that's where my career has gone in in the span of like 10 years. I know how how to to navigate and how to get you there. And then you're still kind of, people don't see the value. And so I just thought the mistake I made was all of our events and everything that we do is free. free. That's, that's, that's and so everyone's like, well, the pro. Yeah. Literally, I was having that conversation this week again with another with another guest with um, with Mildred, yeah. and um, I was saying to her like, it's I find it really uncomfortable charging particular prices because people come to events for free, and that's the offering. Mm-hmm. It's free to the community. So making that transition, I know I'm gonna get loads of eye rolls. Who does she think she is? Like you know, mm-hmm. and. I don't want to do that. But at the same time... At the same time, though, you are selling your kidney to go and see Beyonce. So at the same time, you will spend £60 on... uh, I'm not going to say a type of rave. Lashes! On on a party Mm. to get no food but entry. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's Invest in yourself. What is wrong with people? I think it's a UK thing. Oh! In America... They invest in themselves. Therapy, life coach, business coach, PT... Everything. Americans understand the coins. Yeah, they do. The UK, no. We, we just, we just want to be selling our kidney for Beyonce. <laughs> you know, basically, you know, and, and going to wireless and going to Afro Nation, that's it. and that's it. And it's really frustrating because yeah. it's like you don't understand. People don't really understand like how much it takes out of you as a coach yeah. to be like pouring yeah. into others. Yeah. And then you don't want to pay for it. So for me, I thought to myself, okay, I'm just going to focus on building my business. Mm. And that's it. I'm not going to coach. But then (laughs) I also think that there is a customer, i.e. myself, (laughs) that would pay. Okay. Because yeah. no, like, like, and I feel like sometimes it's about navigating and saying, okay, well, you're not my customers, mm-hmm. but they're, they're my customers do exist because there are women. They may not be the majority in the UK, mm-hmm. but there are women that would pay for an ongoing coach because they see the value in it, yes. and that is where I think that's what I'm learning. I'm learning that okay, cool. If my current customers are not in this space, I need to definitely go to a space where I can find those customers, and I might be in the US. That's the <laughs> yeah, and I agree but you know what it is because we're doing a lot of scaling with Girls Talk this year I have to really channel in my energy because okay. I realised that I was giving you know like having a team you're having to pour into your team and then I'm having to grow my business and then yeah. we've got the event and so I just thought I need to preserve my energy yeah. but I think after I kind of 
finish up with this entrepreneurship journey, mm. I definitely would definitely would do coaching do in America, yeah. in other parts of the world. Dubai. Not in the UK. Yeah. Exactly. Not in the UK. Yeah. Yeah. yeah definitely. I'm not wasting my time here. Yeah. Because it's, it's, it's low vibrations. Asking me, you know, what do you get? What do you get yeah. out, please? Yeah. No. No it's, no, it's true because you don't ask that question when you're going to a rave or exactly. when you're going to a brunch when yeah. you're going, when you're just spending your money on nothing. Yeah. You don't ask that question. Exactly. So it's very insulting. And, and the thing is, I even... Um, did a post because the other day I did a vision board evening and I think the tickets were like 20 pounds or something mm. and I got someone saying why are they 20 pounds I said it's a vision board evening we're using our time and energy and you're getting food yeah. and drinks on top by the way it's, it's, and it's in the venue do you know so. what I think there's a culture of entitlement <laughs> that really is starting to irritate me <sighs> people feel entitled it's like you, you know yeah. it's, and, and, and I always say to people that you know, when you're thinking about your prices, because we our business model is B2B, which is business to business. Mm. And again, I want to work with certain clients that understand their value. Exactly. We let some clients say, oh, well, you know, this event is half the price you're charging to sponsor. And I'm like, excuse you. The value that you yeah. get, you know, from working with us is different. The way that we are organised, the way that we are professional, the way that we do things. Yeah. There's value. Yeah. And exactly. so I think the UK culture is, well, this person's cheaper. Will you go there? And see how happens with them. And it's not about that. Exactly. And, and also, like, I'm learning that, again, you don't always have to drop your prices really quick if someone can't, if someone yeah. says they can't afford it. No. Because they will find the money if it's really that deep. They will find the money. And I think what what, the, what I've got better at is really communicating the value. Because mm. before, I think I just knew, okay, you know, what we're doing is really great. Mm. But then I've had to, as a business person, you have to really be best good at communicating the value. Mm. Um. To, to, to clients and once you do that once they understand that's when I feel like you make the shift I just didn't want to do that with with um, people to be honest with, with customers I just thought I haven't got time yeah, to, to be yeah. speaking to how many different people it's to communicate my value it's no, a lot no, no. it's a lot no, and yeah. if people don't look at your credentials and see what you've done yeah. that's out there already but they want to they, they want to be in my DMs they want to can I have a quick coffee with you yeah oh can I well to pick no because so that's why I don't do no picking my brains. <laughs> I don't do any coffees. I don't. I'm building my business, and that is that. I've got my podcast. You can listen to it. I'm on here now. I'll say the next episode, and that is it. Like I'm not when you had me, you didn't, didn't want to pay. So that is it. I'm not. Do you know what? I'm laughing because. Every single one of my guests is on this energy. Yeah, yeah. You don't understand. And I'm like, do you know what? Because I get I get contacted like daily yeah. from people on WhatsApp, LinkedIn, Instagram. Can you just have a quick look at my CV? Can you have a quick look at my LinkedIn? No. Can you can you so some what's, what's this quick? Or and, and you know, this year, or I'm starting a business. Do you mind helping? I'm thinking, I'm still figuring mine out. <laughs> yeah. Can you and you know some, some of my friends, <laughs> one of my friends in America, she um she started, Chris, Christina, yeah. uh, she has, she runs this amazing business called Omnoir. Um, it's these luxury and wellness retreats for black women. Ooh, and she is a that's boss. Fun. And she's, she is a, she used to be a big PR powerhouse in America. Like mm. she was doing big events with Serena Williams okay. and all of these top people, right? So she's a credible, she's been an entrepreneur for 20 years. Mm. And so now some people have been messaging her and saying, oh, I want to be like what you do during luxury retreats. So then she would send, she sent someone a link to her Calendly 
And she was charging, I think, 200 US for okay. a session with her. Yeah. And she would not hear from them. That happens all the time. And I'm just like, so this yeah. woman has spent 20 years in the game as entrepreneur, has built up this successful multi six-figure revenue business. Mm. She's killing it. And do you, you want to pick her brain to do what she's doing to make money for yourself mm. and you don't want to spend 200 US dollars to pick her brain? Mm. People are mad. Yeah. I think yeah. they've gone mad. Yeah. yeah no, it's crazy. Honestly. And the thing is, I think after, again, it, it, I think it depends on people's upbringing. Not that upbringing, but their, their surroundings. surroundings yeah. So because I'm having conversations with people like yourself and different coaches, I understand and, and, I've, ex- and I've experienced I think it just depends on who the conversations you're having because when I speak to people I, and I understand the journey and I feel it as well because I feel the journey I can't imagine what someone with 16 years experience has because sometimes I will get four hours sleep for the night some hours like sometimes I'm constantly constantly working researching whilst I'm in the shower I've got a talk on listening I'm like no, if someone asks me for advice, they have to pay for this. Exactly. This is a lot. But they ain't going to pay, so don't give it to them. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? But what if someone approaches me with flattery, though? I don't, uh, no, 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 no. That's a trick. I don't care. It's a trick. It, it sounds really them. harsh, but... <laughs> I've been tricked. Yeah, I mean, I mean, and I think it's because people... People will drain you for their yeah. own benefit, and they don't care. So it's like, if you actually, really, if you actually really respected me... If all the things that you're saying about me are true, you'd pay for my time. Yeah. And But I don't do that because for me, I just feel that one, I just don't have the time. Yeah. So even yeah, if I did yeah. have, the, I, I, I just don't have the time. Yeah. I don't have the time. And so yeah. I just kind of just say, that's why I have my podcast, you know, and I'll share with, you know, maybe a link to a podcast I, I've been I'll on. I'll add it as well. Yeah. yeah. And that's it. And and just keep it because I, I've tried it before. You didn't want to pay. That's it. And hopefully you can get what you can from the resources. Exactly. Good there. luck. Come you know? to my event. I always say, okay. Come to, come event. to my we event. Can, we can talk there. If, if anything, if you want to ask yeah. me a question at my event, exactly. I'm there. That's what I say. I say, I might say, okay, I've got an event here. Like, engage with what I'm offering. But no one-to-one, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a lot. A lot. Well, what, is there anything we can kind of expect from you? Again, apart from Berlin and the Black Girl in Finance and yeah. you scaling um, Girls Talk corporation, corporation yeah. now. And I know you've got a team of five at the moment. Yes. Spending, so. Yeah, and we're also, we've launched an app. It's in beta at the moment, um, but it's an app that's going to connect female talent anywhere in the world to global companies. So we're going to have literally how? all of the top corporates on there, but we're in beta with a few corporates and a few members of our community. Okay. It will be out later on um, this year. So that's Ooh, really, you know, so we're now we're developing products. So it's like, yeah. No, that's Amazing yeah. product development as well. That's yeah. so amazing. Yeah. So that's another another beast. Yeah. Can you, can you share it with me when you have it? So I can share it with my community. Yes, and I can definitely. Yes, I definitely will. Yeah, yes. in general. Oh, thank you. Well, um, no worries, no worries at all. Well, um, thank you, thank you so much for taking time out oh, and allowing me good. to pick your brain. I feel special. Oh, yes. <laughs> I feel special. So special. No, so special. I love I what you're doing. doing, and just keep yeah, just just keep producing like and just inspiring loads of people. I just, yeah, when I um, 
saw what you were doing. I'm always happy to support. So let's have a thank good time. You. Thank, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Thank and you. thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for everyone for listening to this podcast. And by the way, thank you for rocking with me. If you, if this is one of the episodes you've listened to, you listen to every single one. I'm really appreciative. And if this is your first episode, please check out the rest. And also check out After Work Drinks because I've listened to it and it's actually a dope podcast so please check it out and um yeah i'm looking forward to seeing you all on the next black create connect podcast episode take care bye